Good morning. To our guest, welcome. We're, we're so excited. We could hardly stand still just to be able to gather together and see each other. And, uh, we're trying not to touch each other and hug each other, but I know it's hard. And I'm like a little child at Christmas. You remember, y'all old people? Y'all remember how that felt? A little, very excited, a little giddy. As I tell you for the first time, and not for many times, probably over the next year, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. As we get ready to start our exposition through this Gospel, we are going to take our time and we are going to enjoy every word, every sentence, and, and hopefully be changed by this. I want to help you a little bit this morning because when you we're Baptists and we don't like change and we've moved your seats around, I've got a table here. And, uh, things look a little different than they did whenever we was here last. We're going to start some things different here and one of them is you're going to respond to the message every Sunday and you do anyway. We're just Wanting to orient ourselves biblically and clearly toward the person of Christ. And so every week from now on, we are going to have communion. And communion will be set at the back. And it will be there every week. And we will sing a couple of songs in response to God's word and hearing God's word. And we will respond through communion and through offering right back here. We have your, your communion sanitary for such a time as this. And... But you need to just be aware there's two little pieces that you got to pull off. One is for the bread to pick up the bread. The next one is for the cup. Nobody has touched this except for who manufactured it. And so we're excited about it. That's going to be part of our normal weekly worship uh, from now on. And I'm, I'm excited about that. We'll say more about that later. So why John? Why the Gospel of John? I we could have went anywhere in the Bible. There was plenty of places to choose from. Why John? Why now? I don't want you to hear me because I'm, I'm not doing an old bait and switch. I want to lay our cards on the table this morning. Why did we choose John? I hope it becomes very evident why John wrote John. If, it won't, if it's not today, it will be over the next few weeks. You see, we as Battleground Community Church stand on the precipice of a decision. And it's not a new decision. Churches make it whether they make it or not. We've been talking a lot. I've been setting the stage, as it were, for this study. Talking about missions and ministry. Missions and ministry. There's the precipice of the decision. And we've been discussing this already. We will either be a church that embraces ministry. And we will love each other and that is good. And we do. We do that well. Or there is another decision. We will be a church that embraces mission and ministry. A gathering of a people for God, for His glory. And we gather those people and we love them and we care for them and we multiply them until Jesus comes. And listen, that is better. That is better. This is why John wrote John. You see, there is someone over lunch, and, they, and you were that person at one point in time who sought a better life. You've ever talked to someone over lunch, and they said that, I just want a better life. I don't like the situation I'm in. I don't like the marriage I'm in. I don't like the addiction that I'm in. I don't like the job that I'm in. And if it just could change, my life would change. 
We're constantly, what happens? They constantly revolve relationships and that doesn't fix it. They constantly revolve jobs and that doesn't fix it. They exchange one addiction for another or one habit for another and that doesn't fix it. The boats don't fix it. The houses don't fix it. Nothing fixes it. This is why we're in John. We need John, this gospel, and the world needs it. You see, it's not your job or a better wife or a better husband that brings a better life. John said, life is a person, but his name is Jesus. That's our prayer. That's my prayer. Is for, like Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. We have a faith that's in action. And so today, I want you just to behold, as we already have been, we want to behold and we want to believe the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So let's think about the context for a minute as we get started. Really, don't get too worried. I'm gonna, I just want you to see a couple things this morning. And then the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John is prologue. It's really introduction. And we're going to take our time through that. John was written most likely between 85 to 90 A.D. It's very important to the context to understand what he, as, as an apostle, was looking back on. The other apostles have been martyred. They have died. Remember, as we read many of those guys, they expected Christ to return at any moment. And now they have been martyred for the faith. And here is John. There has arisen up another generation that did not, was not there at Pentecost. And to an unbelieving generation, he writes the Gospel of John. There's been some 55 to 60 years before Christ died, rose again, and ascended. Our church father, Irenaeus, said John lived probably to around 98 A.D. John likes key words. He uses words like believe and life and light and word and world. And he uses them in a particular way. And many of them he uses over and over and over again. John's gospel is unique. He leaves out things that we would expect him to put in there, and he puts in things that nobody else does. John does not care about our, our little linear minds that like our stories to lay out. John's not about that. John's not about chronology. So you need to understand that when you read the book. He's not worried about order. He's, he's got a theme, you see. He's working his theme. He's choosing what he puts in and where he puts in. For a gospel purpose. John says, I am writing about a person that I have touched, I have seen, and I have heard. And though most of his audience had not, like your audience, like the people that we share the gospel with, and like us. And so I just want us to see the gospel of John, our main purpose today, is to lead people to behold and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, listen, so that they might have life, and life in His name. And so turn with me to the purpose statement of, the, of this book, John 20, 30, 31. You can just keep your seats this morning. I want us to see this is the reason John writes. So we don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to discuss it nor debate it. This is it. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Brothers and sisters, that is one of the most evangelistic texts in the Bible. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we have begun our journey through the Gospel of John, and there is much to learn. And we can't learn any of it without you, without the Holy Spirit helping us. And Lord, we want to behold ourselves and be brought to a place of worship so that our faith is in action and so that the lost might be saved. Lord, may we behold your glory this morning. May we grow in our faith. And today, Lord, if there is one here that does not have this life that John speaks of, will you work it in them today? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your outline with you, you see our first point is simply that we need to behold. We need to behold. This book is written so that we might behold. For John, I want to show you something in verse 30 that is critical as we understand and study John. John says, now Jesus did many other signs, there's our word, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He's saying, Jesus did many things, and I have just chosen, there's some seven signs in the gospel. He puts them where he puts them intentionally, strategically, picks them purposefully. But for John, signs are not merely miracles. So, Give you a little test. See, we can talk to each other. You can't do that when you're online. You know, we can talk to each other now. So get used to it again. I know it's been a while. I'm going to give you, I would do this in reverse, but I think this will work. Just help you understand signs or symbols. Let me just give you this. Tell me, just, just notice, at least the first, just notice in your mind. I'm going to say this. Let whatever pops in your head pop in your head. Harley Davidson. Right? I know that, right? You know. You know, I thought about orange, right? I could see it. America. You see it? Marines. See it, right? You see it? Snickers bar. Right? You see it? So, when you go down the road and you see those little arches, do you say, those arches are McDonald's? Or does the arches not point you to the McDonald's? They say, the sign points to something greater. But the sign is not an end in itself. This is what John is seeing when we go through this book. We see signs. Signs are markers. They point you somewhere. That does not demean the sign. It helps you know why John puts them where he puts them. He is concerned with confirming the message that he is declaring to those who have not seen Jesus, who did not hear his voice. In other words, signs are meant to lead us to behold something. Something greater than themselves. And for John, it is Christ himself. And so I want us to see this this morning. I'm going to take you to a weird place. You're going to say, now why in the world is he going to Revelation? I'm taking you to Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation 21 because I want you to understand. Listen, this is important to understand the Bible. There's a dual authorship going on here. The inspire, Holy Spirit is inspiring this book. It's from God, but there is an author to it. 
And the better we can understand him and what was going on in his mind, the way he sees the plan and purposes of God. So turn with me. I want you to see Revelation 21. I want you to behold something this morning. I want you to behold the end of the story. And then we're going to begin where John begins. Behold Revelation 21 in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the heaven For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things passed away. Verse 5. And he who seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I want you to behold that John understood not only the beginning of the story, but he knew the end of the story. This was always what God's people Looked forward to. Turn with me. We were there last week. The Hebrews 11. This was what the Old Testament brothers and sisters were looking forward to. Hebrews 11. Look at verse 10. The he there is Abraham. For Abraham. Hebrews 11 verse 10. For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Whose designer and builder is God. Now look down at verse 13. These all died in faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14. For people who speaks thus makes it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Listen, for he has prepared for them a city. We need to behold the end of the story. Isaiah 65 says this. The Old Testament prophet said, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. 2 Peter 3 verse 13 says, But according to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There is coming a new creation, and He is not snuffing the old one out of extinction. He is renewing it. He is transforming it. He is going to purify it. That's what's coming. We need to notice also what is going to be included and what is going to be excluded in that coming day. Verse 6 says, Jesus declares it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give life without payment. I want you to see in this text what's excluded. All that is old, all that is broken, all that is sinful, all that is diseased. In Revelation 20 and verse 11, all evil and the effects of evil and sin will be gone. After In verse 11, we see there is a white throne. And after that judgment, there will be no evil that has not been dealt with. No injustice will remain. Death and the grave, in verse 14, are done away with or cast into the pit. But what's really important here is what's included. 
Oh, this is important to go into John. Who is included in the new heaven? Look with me at verse 6 in chapter 21. Only the thirsty are there. You see, the question this morning that John is going to get in our business with is not whether you said a prayer or signed a card or went to class when you were eight. The question this morning is, are you thirsty? This is what he told the woman at the well when we get there in John 4.10. Remember, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, go back to John. I want us now, see that's the book end. need to remember that. It's the book end. Go now, let's go to the other, let's go to John 1. I'm going to preach this next week. I'm not going to preach it now. I just want you to see it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what does John begin here for in this gospel evangelistic book? He's going back to the beginning. You see, new heaven and a new earth, one book in. The creation is the other. Notice who is there in both. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1. And yet we see both creation and salvation comes to the Word of God. And here's what John wants to make sure that you and the original audience understand. The Word of God has a name. It's not just a voice. The Word of God is Jesus Christ. He is the Word. John is so wants to make sure that you do not miss the deity of Jesus Christ. He puts the I am's in there intentionally just, just to make sure that Jesus' enemies understood who He was claiming to be. It was unmistakable. But oh, I want you to... This is why, growth group leaders, this is important to point out. This is why I went to Revelation. Because I want you to see in Genesis and in John and in Revelation, God is dwelling with His people. That's the point, brothers and sisters. If that is not driving your evangelism, we need to go back and recover the point. We need to go back to Genesis. And here's where he's going. John 1, 14. Behold today the dwelling place of God and man And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was there in the temple garden with His people, and He is there at the end of this thing with His people. And John said, what happened when, when sin came and we were separated? Jesus has come. He came. He took on flesh, and He dwelt, listen, with His people. This is why we long to get together, isn't it? Because God does not simply indwell you. He indwells His church. There is something supernatural when God's people get together. But brothers and sisters, this is the greatest blessing of the new creation. It is the greatest blessing of the first creation. It is the greatest blessing of God's church. It is God dwelling with His people. John wants us to understand that. Because listen, 
John wants us to behold Christ. He wants the world to behold Christ. Listen, there is one central question that John wants to answer. Who is Jesus? There is no better question. When you engage people in the workplace and your neighbors and the nations, that is the question, not the peripheral issues. Who is Jesus? Because if He is who He claimed to be, then everything in this book is true. Who is Jesus? John begins, in the beginning, Jesus. Revelation 21 says, in the end, Jesus. Jesus, remember, we saw that in Psalms 22. It is done. It is finished. Jesus says that at the end. In Revelation 21, 6, he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is what we must behold ourselves this is what we must tell the nations, lead the nations to behold. But it is not the end. We must also believe. Look at verse 31. Now back to John 20. John 20 and verse 31 says this. This is the purpose. This is John's passion for writing the gospel. But these are written, the signs he's talking about. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John's going to use believe here. It's the word we use for faith. It means to accept as true, to have confidence in something. Whatever you put your confidence in, that you have faith in that. Everybody has faith. The atheist have faith. The agnostic have faith. Everyone has faith. The question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? Here's what he's saying. In order to believe, you must believe first. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Do you see that? He's the promised Messiah. What does that mean? Uh, Jesus Christ. The Christ is not his last name. It's his title. He is the Old Testament. They use that word, the anointed one. The anointed one. Do you remember? You can see it in John 1 if you want to look there. In verse 41, when he starts gathering his disciples, do you remember what they started telling each other? We found who? The Messiah. We found the promised one. The one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. What were they looking, what were they thinking about? We found the one that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. The one that was born of a woman that would come and crush the head of the serpent and fix this problem that we created. He is coming, Isaiah 53. The suffering servant is coming. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, the Son of Man is coming. Deuteronomy 18, there is one that Moses said, there is one that come after me. The greater prophet is coming. This is the promised Messiah. And if we do not understand it nor believe it, we are not saved. And if you leave this out of the gospel message, you are not presenting the gospel. We must believe, and the world must believe, that Jesus is the promised one. He is the Savior. He is the one who come and suffered for them in their place. And oh, this is so important to John. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be equal with God in a culture that was strictly monotheistic. One God. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. You can see it even in the context of John 20 today that it was Thomas that said in verse 28, My Lord and my God. 
John chose that statement of Thomas and put it where he put it intentionally so that we would not miss who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be. You see, this is the issue. Only someone can divine, can do what the Old Testament promised the Messiah was going to do. Only someone divine, we can say it this way, can fix the mess that man created. Someone has, divine has to do that. You see, someone has to take away the sins of the world. And no one could do it without a sacrifice, without John's witness of the Lamb. You see, what do you believe? You believe that Jesus is the promised one, the Son of God? I like saying it even clearer, Jesus is God the Son. But why do we believe? Why do we believe when we see it? In verse 31, we must believe two things. For someone to be saved, they must understand that they need life. In other words, to understand you need life is to understand that in the Bible's context, you are spiritually dead. Though we walk around physically, we must believe we need life. It is all through John 1, John 3, John 5, John 11, John 14. It is everywhere. John eleven twenty five. 25, what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's a good question. Notice what he puts together there. Living and believing. It's not separated. This life that John is going to teach us is both spiritual and eternal. Talked to you a little bit about that last night. It's just what was, what was making your pastor on edge as week after week we, get, we, we were separated because the spiritual affects the physical, the emotional, and the psychological. If you let your spiritual condition decline, everything else will go with it every day and twice on Sunday. We are spiritual beings and physical beings, and John is saying we need life, and this life is spiritual. This life delivers us from some things and brings some things. Yes, it delivers us from judgment and hell, and that is wonderful. But here's what John is concerned with. It's what it's bringing you right now. John's passion. Right now. We can have life right now. This life is not something that UPS brings. Man, I ordered something from Amazon the other day. And you know what? They sent it in? A bag. Right? You know the best part of getting something from Amazon is what? It's the box, that little smile on it. The kids say, oh no, daddy bought another book or something. Or something for the shop. Or it came in a bag. That's not life. <laughs> right? This is not what John's talking about. Is if God mails you something in the UPS to open up and say, whoo, another book. No, no. This gift, this life is a person who promises you, listen, this that He will adopt you. Listen to me. Adoption is not merely some kind of legal thing. Adoption is a wonderful illustration because it's the reality of our spiritual life because He brings a new relationship, a new family, and a new life. This is what Christ brings us. We need life. We also need light. Why do all people need light? 
because all people are born spiritually blind. This is the picture. That we are spiritually dead, spiritually blind, and spiritually cannot hear. We need to believe in their need for light. John 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his works should be exposed. Light. is Synonymous with two things. With Christ himself. But John also uses it in light of holiness and purity. When I say all people need light, I am saying all people have a holiness problem. They have, all people are born with a purity problem. We, we just don't have bad actions. We have, we have bad natures. And natures lead to actions. We need life and we need light. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Lest we think, brothers and sisters, and I am simply owning some eras of our own denomination who would dare teach or think by our actions or sometimes our modeling that salvation is simply intellectual assent to agreed information. No. Salvation, beholding and believing, always leads to following. John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Listen to how he puts it. Oh, just, this is awesome. But will have the light of life. You see that? It's John's key words coming in over and over again. If you have life and you have light, you will follow Jesus. And if you are not following Jesus, you are in darkness and are still in your sins. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I love what He does here. Fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from our sins. Just want you to see this morning that we need to behold, we need to believe, and we need to follow. This is what people need to understand, brothers and sisters. This is what we must express to them. This is where we begin. All people are created to dwell with their God, but are separated by sin. This is where it began. God with His people. This is why John begins there. Jesus came to earth because man had separated themselves from the God that they were created to dwell with. And our hearts will not be satisfied until we find our rest in Him. I believe somebody I read said that one time. We need life. But we don't need a better life. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need a new job. You don't need a better occupation or a better house. You need Christ. We need to dwell with Him now. This is what John is saying. We can have eternal life, and eternal life does not begin when we die. It begins the moment we believe. We can have life now. This is what his point is. It's really more of a so that than a so what this morning. Let me read it again. But these things are written so that you might believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. You see, battleground, let's ask this question here first. Is John's gospel, I'm not asking you what you think, I'm asking what is absolutely true about this gospel. Is, is John's gospel primarily to establish a believer's faith, or is it primarily evangelistic? It's an important primary question. I'm not saying that John does not help strengthen our faith. Of course, you take people to John for almost any reason while we're there. But listen today. You need to understand the nature of this book. It it is primarily, first and foremost, evangelistic. This is by the look at the text. These things are written so that you may believe. Who's he talking to? And that by believe you may have life. This is where we go to learn, brothers and sisters, how to evangelize. We go to the book. John is teaching us not only how to strengthen and establish our faith. He is teaching us how to declare to dead men how they might live. John is teaching us how to declare to those who walk in darkness how they may walk in light. Listen, no, no, you do not do that simply by the way you live. You do it by your mouth. Just as God said, in the beginning, let there be. He calls his people to go take this message of this life and this light to their king's mountain and to their Bethesda city and to their Gastonia and to their Cherival and to their Shelby and to your neighbor with one central question. Who is Jesus? It's what John's going to, it's what we're going to spend the next year looking at. Hopefully, I have no doubt for one reason, that we might have life. That our neighbors and our nations and those we love and those we weep for at night those that we don't understand the why they the way they act the way they act that they might have life 1 John 5:11 says this and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son I only have one way to give people life I can't buy somebody a new car and bring life. And no, you can't lead your children to the Lord by doing that either. We don't bring them to life by giving them stuff. It's only one name that brings life, and its name is Jesus. Every single one of us today have tried to build your life on sand. Every one of us. And listen, if you don't own that this morning, you need to spend a little time remembering what you have been saved from. We find people right where they are. We simply try to help them understand who Jesus is. We want them to have life, and we understand this. Look at the text. Life only comes through the name. That name that we begin singing about. That's the only thing we have. We understand sin kills, sin separates, sin pollutes everything. And Christ is the only one. The divine Jesus is the only one who had the ability to step into this time and space and do anything about it. 
So there's the question for you this morning. Do you have this life right now? We could ask it this way. Are you thirsty? Are you spiritually thirsty? Are you spiritually hungering and thirsting for righteousness? I am not asking you what you did when you were five. I'm asking you if you're hungry and thirsty right now. Has this time away made you more hungry and more thirsty or less? We need life and we need light and we need to give it. John bore witness to the person and work of Christ. And what I long for us is that we may behold and we may believe and we may be like John as a voice crying out to dead men as those who need light. I happened to pop into the deacons meeting this morning and they were going over a a text and just so happened it's the same text I'm going to read right now. And so I love it when the Holy Spirit works together like that. Brothers and sisters, Turn with me to Romans. Turn with me to Romans. Romans 10. This is, brothers, the simple gospel, the simple plea as we lead to our response and worship. Romans 10 and verse 9 says this. For all that are he seated here with us and for those that are listening online, hear this simple, wonderful truth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him, no one will be put to shame for there is no distinction. The Lord is the Lord of all. Bestowing His riches, His grace on all who call on Him. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Brothers and sisters, why we as the church are going to spend the next year in John is is to answer this question. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to preach unless someone is preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And may we say, we're here, Lord. Send us. And so we're about to respond as we're going to respond every week by taking a minute as we begin to stand and sing. I want to teach you something this morning. Turn with me to your Bibles. The 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't know if you have them in your Bible. I was wondering if I still had mine. You see these little markers here I keep in the back of my Bible? You may want to get you one of them or if you've got a, a something, mark this text. 1 Corinthians 11 and verses 23 to 26. This is one of the best texts to come to in your mind or look at it on paper when we respond. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is the cup, the new covenant, 
shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, as we stand and sing, I, I just want you to know how I'm going to respond. Okay? And we're going to respond and show it to you. Don't overthink this. Okay? Please don't. Okay? We've folded blankets and marched around like little, little robots for years in the Baptist church. This is, brothers and sisters, a time to remember what Jesus Christ did to redeem you, not only to himself, but into his church. This is the time for us to remember what it cost the Lord to save your soul and mine. And so what we're going to do at your leisure and while we are worshiping, as you prepare yourself, as you call this text to mind, go back and get this sealed cup. There are two pieces of plastic on here. Pull up the clear one first. It has the bread on top. And then pull up the second one. It has the, the, the cup in it. It is completely sanitary. We, this, brothers and sisters, is how we will begin to respond. You see, every week you respond. We respond in singing, in worshiping. We respond in communion. We respond in offering. Offering is not, I do not use the word tithe. This is first fruits. This is simply Acknowledging God gives me everything I have and I will bring my first and best and, and I will express my thanksgiving to the Lord. That's all it is. And it's back there for you to do as we sing. And then at the end of the service, we will dismiss and we will leave to live lives of worship. So brothers, let us prepare ourselves to respond to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are excited as we begin to open John's gospel to, to learn what you have for us to learn, to be motivated rightly in everything that we do and say. But right now, Lord, we still ourselves to remember that you are God and that you are triune. That your son is named Jesus and he came for us. And to now, Lord, would you receive our worship? As we come to the table, as we give our offerings, as we give our voice, and then as we give our lives, Lord, would you receive it? Would you commune with your people now? As we acknowledge... That we would be lost and dead and in darkness. Yet to this day. The power of the Holy Spirit. And if someone would not have declared the gospel to us. Oh Lord we acknowledge today that we are saved. Because of the person and the work of Christ. And Lord so we come now in saying Lord. Forgive us for our sins. Lest we come to the table unworthy. Forgive us for our sins, but oh Lord, thank you for the table that reminds us that the work is finished. And that we have been saved into a new family. And we will be together forever. Lord, receive the worship of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.